I think it's exciting. Good. <laughs> so, what we're looking at, um, we're starting a, a new show program on Wednesday nights. I haven't seen it, probably won't see it, but it's a, a sports program, and it's called uh, Defining Moments. And what they do, they're supposed to do, is they're supposed to go through all the, all the sports games and pick out um, the greatest play, the, the play that changed the momentum and changed the history and ultimately um, was the de decisive event that changed the whole course and won the game for one side or the other. With me on that? Y'all seen the adverts maybe on TV? Um, so they're talking about a decision or an event that has a dramatic and, and um, decisive impact on the outcome of the whole thing. And so they're going to look at those, all those great plays and stuff. We'll have a poem that goes along with that. This is, um, you'll recognize it, Robert Frost. It's called The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down, one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them both really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're looking at Acts chapter 16. Be reading verses 6 through 12. So we've been talking this morning about the decisive events, definitive moments that determines the future outcome. Uh, we've also talked about the importance of place, key locations, in, important um, historically or spiritually. And what is, becomes a very, very powerful thing is when the decisive moment and the key location come together. And those are things that changes the whole course of world history. Now, the, the scripture is full of these kinds of things. You can think about Abraham offering up Isaac on Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is going to be the location of Jerusalem. And then later on, that's going to be uh, the place where Jesus dies and is crucified. And so he, uh, as you go through and you start looking at the patriarchs, you're going to see that people like Abraham... Uh, Isaac and Jacob, as they're traveling around uh, what's the, 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 back then it was called Canaan, we call it Palestine today, as they were moving around from place to place to place, they were building altars. And they were um, committing themselves and hallowing the places. And the places that they built altars become significant places throughout the course of the Old Testament and then added significance because the same places 
become important in the New Testament. And so basically what they're doing, as they're going around, these are nomadic people, um, they are the foreigners coming in, moving around from place to place, building these altars, they are effectively, spiritually, claiming this land for God. Now later on, they're going to call this the promised land. This is going to be the land that uh, God gives to the Israelites as a homeland. But at that time, when they were first going in, they were pioneers, explorers, the first ones in, in a spiritual sense. We know about those kinds of things. Um, we think back in our own histories and things during the period of colonization and exploration. You'd have these people going out uh, from different European countries, and they would discover a place, and the first guy out of the boat would jump down. He's got a flag, and he'd bury it in the sand. I claim this for England or France or Germany or whatever. Um, where we lived in South Africa, uh, Joanne and I went down to the coast a couple of times, and we found stone markers that were set there by Vasco da Gama, still there, back in the 1490s. Um, a series of them as you go up the coast there. He was uh, one of the first ones around, he and Bartholomew Diaz. And so they were claiming that property, that land, for their monarch. And basically that's what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were doing. They were going around building these altars, uh, dedicating the land and themselves to God. In the New Testament, the church did this by planting churches. That's how Christianity expanded. Uh, they would go into a new area and a church, there would be some converts and they would plant a church and before too long that whole area became a center and then the whole surrounding area would become Christian. And so um, the first step would be to go in and evangelize and plant a church. And that way whole entire countries were converted. So this was the kind of thing that was going on. So as we look in the, in the book of Acts, uh, this whole second half of the book is going to be talking about the Apostle Paul and um, about how he went around and during his missionary movements, his missionary journeys, the three major ones, he was planting churches and developing them, then helping them, helping them grow and develop. So... We're looking now at the second missionary journey. So what's happened is that in 46 to 47 AD, Paul and Barnabas went on the first missionary journey. It was relatively short and covered a couple of islands and went up in the southern southwestern part of what's modern-day Turkey. And they went back and reported to the church at Antioch, which had sent them out. And uh, on the way, though, they picked up a guy, a young man by the name of Titus, who began to travel with them. They went to the Jerusalem Council around 48 AD. That's when they were talking about uh, how the church was going to deal with all these Gentile converts. Because in the early days, almost all the Christians were Jews. But now large numbers of Gentiles were coming in, and so they wanted to know how are they going to come in. So they had a big council in 48. And then the third mission, uh, second missionary journey was going to start, uh, it went from about 48 to 51 A.D. And Paul and Barnabas had a, a disagreement about Mark, because Mark had started out with them and left, and 
Barnabas wanted to give him another chance. It was his cousin. Paul didn't want to take him because he thought he was unreliable. So they had such a disagreement that they decided to part company. Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus. And um, Paul chose another guy by the name of Silas to go with him. And on this trip, they're going to pick up a couple of extra guys, uh, one of them by the name of Timothy and the other by the name of Luke. And this is where we'll pick up the story in Acts 16. Starting with verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Did you get that? They wanted to preach in Asia, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, that's to the north, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So here they are. They're on this missionary journey. The purpose is to go and preach the gospel, to establish churches, um, and they're going through large tracts of land, and the Lord is not letting them preach in those areas. Don't know exactly what's going on. We can look at the book of Romans in chapter 1, verse 13. And Paul tells them, uh, this letter was written uh, years later, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says, I wanted to come and visit with you guys, but I haven't been allowed to do so. He talks a little bit about it later on at the end of this book, this letter, in Romans chapter 15, verse 20. And he says this, he's boasting about what God has done in him and through him, through the Holy Spirit. And he says, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. And he said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So I don't know if this was what God had put on his heart and, and uh, the Lord was saying, I've got other people to go here. Other people did go there. If you read uh, in Acts chapter 2 about the day of Pentecost, and it lists all those people from all those different places, um, the places that Paul was trying to go to, there were representatives there. I don't know if God took those people and sent them in there. We don't have a history of that, but we know that the church was established there. Later on in 1 Peter... First Peter talks about, he lists some of the places that this letter is going to. Bithynia is one of them. And that area that Paul was not allowed to go into was evangelized by other people. It just wasn't Paul. Um, so God was watching over these decisions that were being made. And he said, okay, uh, this is Galatia. You're not to go there right now. Now, he had established some already down in the southwestern south, uh, part. But he wasn't to go to the rest. And he was wanting to go up north, and God said no, wasn't allowed. So he ends up at Troas. 
this place that's not far from where the Battle of Troy was, this place where Greek culture came across and through Alexander he became the first missionary of the Greek culture that affected and influenced all the rest of the world and continues even to the present day. This way, in God's plan, Christianity is now going from Asia into Europe. That's important. It's important for you or me because as a result of this, Christianity spread to Europe. If he had gone to Bithynia and no one else had gone um, to Europe, then we might be receiving missionaries from China here to convert us pagans. We may need them still. <laughs> but at this point, God stepped into the picture and he changed the course of history at this location, at this particular time. So when they came to Troas, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. And it's an incredible thing because uh, Macedonia, that's where Alexander the Great was from. It was called Macedonia because uh, that was the name of the country. Alexander's father was Philip of Macedon, and he was the one that the city of Philippi was named for. And Philippi is going to be the first place in Europe that Paul brings the gospel to. Uh, not far from there is another early church location, Thyatira. First and Second Thessalonians are going to be written to that church. So all of that's right there in Macedonia. And from where Paul is in Troas, he can look across the straits and he can see the hills of Macedon right there. And during the night, um, he had this vision. A man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we, Luke is here, Luke met him here at Troas, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. Neapolis is a seaport associated with Philippi. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now, it's going to be interesting, I think, the first Christian convert in Europe that's recorded in Scripture is a woman, Lydia, uh, a businesswoman. And she is there, <clears throat> and there's had a place uh, of prayer down by the river. So she had gone down there. Uh, it's a place of prayer, maybe doing her, her devotions in the morning. And she runs into Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And they're proclaiming the gospel, and she readily accepts the Lord, goes home, and they, this is the beginning of the church at Philippi. Her whole household gets converted and they're baptized. And from there, you know, just a few days later, they end up, uh, Paul and Silas, in prison, and the Philippian jailer and all of that. All that began because of this vision here in Troas. God speaking, God making his plans uh, clear, and showing them what his desire was. Uh, the place was right. The time was right. God was speaking to them. And so this is what um, God was doing through this place. Now, this place continues to show up in history. Later on, 
Paul goes from Philippi, and uh, he's going to leave Luke there. He's going to head out. Uh, he's going to end up, after he leaves there, to a, at a place called Berea, and another church is going to be established there. And when he leaves Berea, uh, he leaves Silas and Timothy there, and Paul goes on to Athens by himself. Well, there's not a church established at Athens. Uh, they hear him. There's a couple of converts, but it didn't really take off there. And Paul by himself, he's discouraged. Um, he goes on down to Corinth, and God opens up Corinth, a tremendous ministry there. Seaport town, um, major traffic center, crossroads, seaport, um, well-known place. A lot of coming and going from all different places and cultures. And so it's a, a really great spot to have a church. And so the church at Corinth is established there. And Paul ends up, he stays um, about a year and a half there at Corinth. And all of this is on the, the uh, second missionary journey. So later on, uh, they go home and give a report back to the church. And then later on, they decide to go on the third um, missionary journey. So they're going to go back and revisit the places that they've been, check on the churches. Um, so on the third missionary journey, that was from 53 to 59 A.D., Paul ends up going to, to Corinth again. And after he leaves there, um, there's a, a problem there arises at Corinth. And this visit was not a happy one because other people had come in during the years between when Paul established the church and when he was coming back. And there was crisis there. There was controversy. There was uh, division. And so when Paul left, he didn't leave on good terms. So he was concerned about it. Um, he wrote um, 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. He ends up in Ephesus. He's going to spend about three years there. And while he was there, he wrote a letter to Ephesus, from Ephesus to Corinth. That's, that's what we have as 1 Corinthians. Um, he's going to write 2 Corinthians later on from Macedonia, about two years later in 56 AD. In between... There was this quick visit, which was not a good one, and he had to leave. And so back um, in Ephesus, he sent a second letter, and this was a sharp letter. And um, he sent this letter with Titus. So Titus had been with him and traveling with him, and he sends Titus back with this letter to Corinth, a very sharp letter. And we'll find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 4. So Paul says to them, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. And so Paul's writing this letter. Uh, it, it's a letter that cost him. He's concerned. Um, he's concerned about the orthodoxy. He's concerned about the growth of this church. And he sends his um, trusted man Titus back with this letter. And he's anxious. So we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. So Paul's at Ephesus. 
He sent Titus with this sharp letter. He's waiting to hear from Titus, and Titus has gone a little longer than he, than he thinks he should be. So uh, Paul is anxious. He's concerned about this church at Corinth and about the reception that Titus got. So he says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. So Paul's concerned, so he moves from Ephesus. He moves up to Troas again where he initially started out. Uh, on the second missionary journey to take the, the gospel into Europe. And he's there at Troas, and he's, he's preaching the gospel, and it says, the Lord had opened a door for me. So he had an open door for ministry there. This is Paul. And for Paul, you've got an open door, you're going to stay a while. A uh, year and a half at Corinth, three years at Ephesus, uh, this whole area is opening up here. This is a key place. If you're going to go from, from uh, that part of Asia to that part of Europe, you're going to go right through Troas. It's a key city. And he's got an open door, but no peace of mind. So Paul left. He got up and left. So we're looking at the leading of God and the way that he works in the hearts of people. Um, open door does not necessarily mean that's where you're supposed to be. Paul didn't feel that's where he was supposed to be. So he got up and he left. Now there is going to be a church established at Troas. Uh, we don't hear a whole lot more about it in the book of Acts, but uh, later on, uh, Ignatius, one of the early church fathers, writes about the church at Troas in a couple of letters that he wrote. So there is a, a Christian community established. Paul's going to come back here later on. But right now, he's leaving Troas, even though he's got an open door for ministry, because he's concerned about Titus, and he doesn't know what happened there in Corinth. So he gets, all, he gets up, and he goes to uh, Macedonia. And we're going to find out uh, in chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Again, he's still writing to the people at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 5. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, problems at Corinth, fears within, what's happened to Titus? Have they received him? Is there a healing and reconciliation taking place? Or are we going to lose the whole thing? But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort he had given, you had given him, Church of Corinth. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. He finally links up with Titus, and there's good news. People have received the letter. They've taken it to heart. They're... Um, the breach that was there between Paul and the church at Corinth was in the process of being healed and restoration. And so Paul is relieved. You know, when Paul talks about um, all the different things that he bore, um, the beatings and the whippings and the shipwrecks and all of that, he includes the care and the concern of the churches that he helped establish. And we see it here in his heart and in his life. Um, 
open door for ministry in other places, but he can't forget these people that he's invested in and that God has begun a good work in, and he wants to make sure that they're progressing and that things are okay. So later on uh, in chapter 7, in verse, starting in verse 13, by all this we are encouraged because of Titus' news of how the people at Corinth responded. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. So he has this tremendous good news that this ministry that was, a, that was begun at Troas and carried over into Europe and on down to Corinth was alive and strong and healthy. So he went down and he, he visited with them briefly. And it was there that he decided, Paul decided that um, he had been going through that area taking up a collection for the poor people back in Jerusalem. And it was time... He was going to be traveling with representatives from each of the churches, and they were going to go back to Jerusalem. And for Paul, this is going to be a very serious trip. Um, every church that they went to on their way back, the prophets were trying to tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Um, arrest and imprisonment await you there. And Paul says, Holy Spirit is compelling me to go. And every church he went to, people with weeping and tears tried to prevent him from going. But the Lord was compelling him to go. And it was out there that he was arrested, ended up uh, going to Rome as well. So Paul is, he's sorting these things out as far as the leading and guidance of God. Um, uh, the Lord is giving him discernment about which open doors he's to take, which doors that are open that he's not to take, which doors that seem to be closed that he needs to push on. And Paul is being obedient to what God wants him to do. So he's leaving Corinth. He's going to go by land so he can visit these churches because Paul feels this may be the last time he sees them. And for many of these people, it was the last time that they saw him. He wrote letters, kept in contact, but this was the last time they were going to see him. So he's visiting these churches as he's going around. And we're back to Acts chapter 20. Paul's a great preacher and orator. He's like some of the rest of us. Once you get started, it's hard to stop. And Paul's feeling the um, importance of this visit with, the, with his brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, he's wanting to, to tell them everything he wants to tell them because he, he's, he's pretty sure he's not coming back. So we're in Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 5. So he's listed all these men that were coming with him. These men went on ahead of us and waited for us at Troas. We sailed from Philippi, uh, actually the Neapolis, which was the seaport, after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Five days later, joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So we're back at Troas, where it all started. And on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. 
Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept talking until midnight. So you're in luck. Uh, I'm not going to keep you here till midnight. Matter of fact, if I tried, I may be by myself. <laughs> anyway, Paul kept talking till midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated on the window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> so, so Eutychus, you know, the peace of the Lord is there, and it's quiet, and it's dark, and they, uh, they got the, the, the flames of the lamps there, and Eutychus, man, he is snoozing big time. Well, the problem was, if you go to sleep in church, it could be hazardous to your health. I want you all to know that. You with me here? Go to sleep in church, it may be hazardous to your health. <laughs> okay. Eutychus was sitting in the window, because it was warm, and he fell. So Paul talked on and on, and um, when he was sound asleep, that's Eutychus, not Paul, uh, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. So here's this guy. He's just fallen out of a three-story building. So he hits the ground. He's dead. Now, all your medical people are going to tell you, you've got to be real careful. Paul comes down and jumps on him <laughs> and grabs him. And the guy is healed and restored to life. Threw his arms around him and said, don't be alarmed. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking till daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. So Troas, as you've noticed, keeps coming up again and again and again. It's the major center. It's the place from which he started and one of the last places that he visited on his way back. And there was significant ministry that was taking place in there. And so you have these defining moments um, that the TV show about sports is going to show. You've got these definitive places and moments, uh, like the building of the altars and the claiming of the land of, of Europe for Christ through planting of these churches. These defining moments, like Robert Frost going through the woods and deciding to go on one road instead of another. And God was leading all of this for Paul. You're not to go to Galatia right now. It's not for you to go to Bithynia. That's someone else's job. Your job, start at Troas and go into Europe. So it's important for us as Christians um, to realize the importance of decisions that we make in God's economy, to be sensitive to his leading and guidance, to have the discernment to know which open door is the one that we should go through, which door that looks like it's closed is the one that we need to, to enter. And to be sensitive to his leading and guidance and the peace that he puts within our hearts. And so as we look at the way that Paul interacted with the Spirit of God, we see God working in him and changing him, guiding him, directing him. And as followers of Christ, we can expect that same kind of guidance and direction. Paul was trying to go into Galatia. And God said, not that way. So he backs up. And he goes and he says, okay, well, I'll go into Bithynia. And God says, no, that's not where you're supposed to go. You know, well, you keep pushing, you're going to find it eventually. 
And during the night, God said, let me help you. And he has this vision of a man saying, this is where you need to be. This is where the door is open. This is where the people are ready to hear. Could have been that the people in Galatia and Bithynia were not ready to hear at that point. But the people of Macedonia were hungry and open and they were responsive. So we've got all this whole series of churches there um, that were established. Philippi, Thyatira, uh, Corinth, Berea, um, these churches, whole string of them there that were a result of him answering the Macedonian call. May not be that great a thing. Uh, the initial trip was from Troas to Neapolis. He could see it from where he was, from where he was there. That strait is not that broad. He could look over and see those hills. For you and I, it might be walking across the street or next door or down the road or meeting somebody in the grocery store. But the point is, God has Paul sensitive to time and place. And his obedience brought salvation to them and in God's sovereignty and through his plan to us today. Because we're here because people from Europe came over with the gospel in their hearts. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the way that you watch over us and guide us. We pray for sensitive hearts, for open minds, for an awareness of your peace that you give when we get the decisions right. That even those circumstances and situations may be against us, that with that peace and the assurance of your call, you do great things through ordinary people. So Lord, we pray that today you would help us to be available to you sensitive to your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen.